Okay, let's, um, let's open God's word together. We're going to read Joshua, Joshua 3. I'm going to read about six verses. And then um, I just want to open up a couple of things that I just think God might be saying through these, these six verses at the beginning. And I'm going to invite Mo up. And Mo's going to share a few things on the, on the last sort of 11 or 12 verses as well. So this is this place in which God's people have now been led to another river. They've, been, they've turned up there at the Jordan. They know that they've been called to go into a new land that God has promised to give them. And they're waiting on the edge of the water and they're waiting to see what is the next step to take place. They've come back. Rahab has protected the spies. They've been told the people melt before you. There's confidence. You can get into this land. Go. There's this confidence now that God's saying, it's all ready. You've spent 40 years waiting for this point. You've spent a whole generation wandering around the desert. This is your time. Are you ready to go? And they're right on the edge and they're just waiting to see what they're going to do. And they're waiting for God to speak to them. And then all of a sudden this opens up. And so it says, then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out. Now, again, some, I, I'm going to say this because Martin said it last week and I'm still a kid. I read the Bible with my kid in, kids in the evening. And these are the sort of words in the Bible that when you read them, I giggle and my son giggles. And it's okay to giggle in church sometimes. And this is a place that sounds silly now, but you know, the, the original name probably wasn't quite as funny as I find it when I read it, but they rose and they set out from Shittim. That's where they rose from. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Remember that word. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. I'm going to pause there. Three little comments I just want to make on those bits. Number one, they were called to follow when the presence of God went out before them. This is interesting because this is not the first time. I was, me and Jürgen were having a coffee together in the week, weren't we? And as we were chatting with each other, we just, this moment of saying, this isn't the first time that, as you're going to hear soon, dry land emerges out of water. It's happened before. The very beginning of the Bible, and it's even interesting, this word dry land, as you look at it, making real reference to dry land emerging. But on the third day of creation, what emerges out of the waters? Dry land. And then the flood takes place and Noah's waiting for the floodwaters to subside and what emerges out of the water? Dry land. And Moses is then trying to leave Egypt. They're trying to be saved from these people that have been, they've been slaves to for, for centuries. They've sat there and they're trying to emerge and be saved from the people that were once their rulers and oppressors. And as they arrive at the edge of the sea, what emerges out of the water? Dry land. And so again, they're at this place where they're about to say, oh yeah, we've seen this before. <laughs> we've heard about this one. Oh yeah, dry land. Yeah, 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 it's going to happen. It happened with Moses. You know, we get it. 
Oh yeah, it happened with the flood. It happened in the creation story. It's the fourth time it's happened. Now you might say, well, hang on, you know, it's, it's once is a miracle enough. But four times, this is, the, oh, this is the fourth time that we read about that dry land has emerged. But God's trying to say to them, actually, in all of this, don't get ahead of yourselves. Don't you try and just progress this thing thinking, I know where this is heading. Yeah, 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 it's all going to take place. You notice that so much when people in their own strength or their own convictions run ahead and say, oh yeah, God, we got this. All good. We know what's going to happen here. Dry land's about to take place. Now, if God hasn't commanded that the dry land's going to rise, they would have got very, very wet as they walked into the water. And that can so happen in the Christian life. You just run ahead of yourself. Oh, you've yeah, seen it before. I remember that's the way that it happened last time. We'll just do it again. Repeat the miracle again, would you, gods? We'll just follow the old process because God just, we'll just do it again, will he? God loves to reinforce that he is about bringing dry land out of wet places. The God, the miracle maker, the one, and only he is able to do those things. But whenever he says to do it, he says, follow me. <laughs> Let me do these things and you're called to follow you're called to see that I'm about to do a great work amongst you and you're called to be disciples, followers of me, watching as I do wonders amongst you. That's the position we're called to be in. Now, there's, it's not passive watching. Oh yeah, we're well just following isn't passive. Let's just sit and see what he's up to. It actually involves action ourselves. But what we do is we constantly have our eyes not on our feet, but on where's God? What's God about? I'm going there. Not just where's God about, oh, I'll wait and watch and see what he's up to and let someone else follow. A lot of people have done that. A lot of people have been offered to follow Jesus and said, oh, I'll just watch, thank you. I'll see, I'll make up my mind. No, it involves action of stepping out, of walking and pursuing God. And actually my Christian story is just a constant life of pursuing God wherever he goes. Where are you, Lord? Okay, I wanna follow you there. Where are you going now? Okay, I'm gonna follow you in that direction. I need my eyes up to see what God's about. I want to be a person that's called to follow him. And we want to be a church that is called to follow him. We want to be a people that are devoted in that way. Secondly in it, this whole idea of you haven't passed this way before. You haven't seen it. You don't know what's about to take place. That's exciting. I really, some of you probably don't like the unknown. I love it. I love it when I don't know what's about to happen. I just enjoy spontaneity. I'm kind of that way wired. But that thing of saying, you haven't been this way before. That it, you know when you get to a city and you haven't been there before and then you walk the streets? I love it because I haven't been there before. You know, we get, I get a bit bored sometimes if I just keep seeing the same thing on repeat and loop. That's why lockdown was like, oh, okay, yes. I've seen these four walls every time, every day. Yep, back on the old wheel of, hamster wheel of just going around in life. But to follow and say, you haven't been this way before. Trust me. Oh, Lord, that would be my prayer. Lord, do that again. Say to us as a church, you haven't been this way before. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what I'm about. Don't try and second guess me. Oh, Lord, that's what I want to be praying on Wednesday night. Oh, Lord, lead us to places that we haven't been. Work in and through us again. Show us things that have never happened. It's so nice to get a taste of the goodness of God, but I want so much more of it. And for so many more healings and lives that are changed and transformed. So many more signs and wonders amongst us as the people of God. That's what we long for, don't we? Come on. I want it. I want us to be in a community where we long for it collectively together. Not just individuals that long for it, but a whole people groaning after, oh Lord, do a new thing amongst us. Show us what you're about. 
God, reveal, show your mighty hands, come through in things that only you're able to do. Because otherwise they'll just say, oh yeah, of course you lot did that. Of course you can, you're able to do those things. We're, we're bright enough, you've got enough resources. Oh Lord, do something that only you can do amongst us, please. Please, how much easier is that going to be to point and say, look, I trust you. If the Lord's doing this, you've got to come and see what the Lord is about. So we long to see those things. We long to be those who follow him into the new things that he's about. You have not passed this way before. Trust me in it. And then the beauty in, it, in that moment, of when he says you haven't been that way before, he then says, consecrate yourself. And all that consecrated means is being set apart, devoted to, given to something and someone else. It's what consecration is. It's like saying, I'm holy, I'm set apart. I belong to the Lord's. It's one of those first marks of being a Christian is say, my life is no longer my own. I repent, I die to self and I believe in you because I now belong to Christ, body, soul and spirit. He's mine and I am his. I belong to him. That's being set apart. It's what it is. It's saying I'm yours, Lord. I give myself to you freely to use me as you please. That is where true freedom is found in being a slave to Christ Jesus. It's very countercultural because you're told, be a slave to yourself, follow your own desires. But the Lord says, consecrate yourself to me. Give yourself to me. And the way they did it is their consecration was, you know, on the eighth day, they cut their foreskin off of, of little baby boys, circumcision. That's one way they consecrate themselves. We're a set apart people. Look, this is how it happens. So I, last week they were appointed as the people of the circumcision. They'd consecrate themselves by washing or bathing, but so much of those things was almost an outward sign of their consecration. You know, what God calls us to is a consecration of the heart. There's now inward signs that show that we're a set apart people for God. And why did I make those notices earlier? Because prayer, I promise you, is a way of consecrating yourself to God. It's an outworking of saying, Lord, I belong to you. Of course I'm going to pray. See, that, that causes us to be a set-apart people. That we say, we belong to you, Lord. We, you're, we're yours. You have us. We give ourselves to you. And so they set themselves apart for these things. And as they start to do, and that's what I want us to call us to a church again. We're a set-apart people, holy and devoted to God. That's why every week when we gather as family like this in this world on a Sunday morning, we're consecrating ourselves. We're saying, Lord, we belong to you. Don't belong to the David Lloyd Centre. I don't belong to my place of work. I belong to the people of God. And so I gather in community, collectively, as the family of God, to say we belong to him. So we gather to pray. So we gather to give. So we gather to serve. In all these ways, we're saying we're set apart. Not as outward signs of things that God has done in the flesh, but inward signs of what God has done in and through the spirit of God in us. You read Acts 2, and what did, the, what did the early disciples do? They devoted themselves to the teaching of the word, to prayer, to sharing all that they had, to the breaking of breads, because they were devoted, set apart. They gave themselves to these things collectively. So well done. Every time that you give yourselves to these things, you're saying, I belong to you, Lord. I'm yours and you are mine. And that's how we long to be as a people. Mo, come and join me. Because Moses is going to speak now into this idea that actually God, because I only gave half the story, but God is about a great work in and amongst his people and he's going to show what he does. Let's put our hands together for Mo. Let's give her a big welcome. Right? Got that. Well, before I start, let me clear up about Shittim. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> 
It means meadow of acacias. Isn't that much nicer? <laughs> okay, let's carry on reading from um, verse 6, I think it is. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I'll begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark had come to the far, as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, the waters coming... <laughs> the, jo the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam the city that is beside Zarathan, and those flowing down towards the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Well, now after that. Um, okay, the Jordan River is about 60 miles long. It flows from the Sea of Galilee to the Sea of Arabah. Another name for the Sea of Arabah is the Dead Sea, which we've heard more. The Dead Sea is so salty that nothing can live in it. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. Now, where the Israelites crossed, it was approximately six miles east of Jericho. And there, the river is about 30 and a half meters wide, or to those of my era, a hundred feet. And it was 10 feet or three meters deep. But when the Israelites arrived, the water was at its highest point because the spring rains had caused it to flood its banks. It was the worst time to attempt a crossing. Now, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant were told to put their feet into that very turbulent water. I mean, we've seen photographs of flooding rivers, haven't we, especially in the last few years. But they got to put their feet in that flooding water. But because the water was flooding, it would have been well over the banks when they touched the water's edge. 
So they wouldn't have actually had to have stepped down into the river. And if the Lord hadn't cut off those waters, they would have gone down very quickly. When the Israelites were in a settled place, when they were camped, the Ark of the Covenant was situated in the most holy place in the tabernacle. It was where God met with the high priest and only the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. The Ark of the Covenant was known as the mercy seat because it was there on that day, on that one day, that the Lord God had mercy on his people when he accepted the blood of the sacrifice offered by the high priest. He had mercy on them and forgave them all their sins, every person's sin. Whatever they'd done was forgiven at least once a year. It's the way he kept in relationship with them. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is described as our high priest, but he's also our mercy seat. Because the mercy seat was the place where God met with man. And in Jesus, God met with man. Now it was when the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant touched the water's edge that the Lord cut off, stopped the waters of the River Jordan flowing at a place called Adam. Now, our English language can be very flat compared to the Hebrew words. They have incredible depth. And Hebrew words often paint pictures and are just broader than just one English word. And when I looked in my concordance, it tells me that the Hebrew word used here for cut off also means to cut down, to cut out, to cut in general. But the thing that struck me was it also means to cut covenant. Now, when I saw this, immediately the covenant of, that the Lord made with Abraham in Genesis 15 came to mind. Now, I've got no time to tell you about it now, but it's to do with cutting animals, blood, flaming torches. That tries to remind you. <laughs> now, that covenant meant that Abraham, who was childless, who was past the age of bearing children, was promised that he would not only have a son, but his descendants would possess the very land that the Israelites were about to enter, the land that was on the other side of the Jordan. And at the moment the waters were cut, it was as if the Lord was cutting the same covenant that he cut with Abraham. He was cutting a covenant with the very ones that were going to fulfill that covenant that he promised, Abraham's descendants. It was like the Lord God was saying, I am here to fulfill the covenant I made with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob and now you. 
Now, the waters of the Jordan, they didn't part like the Red Sea did. They didn't part like walls on either side of the people as they crossed. The waters at the Jordan were cut off at this town called Adam. And the river water in front of the town of Adam, where all the water was piling up, flowed on and down to the, Red, to the Dead Sea. And they were about, as they were about to cross, they were about six or seven miles away from the Dead Sea. So they watched that water going down and passed. But the water would have taken a little while to go through. But the miracle was it wasn't as long as it took for the waters to go with the Dead Sea, with the Red Sea. I'm getting muddled up here. <laughs> the water at the Red Sea, when it parted like walls either side, the Lord God had blown the east wind on that water overnight. The whole night, the wind blew, the waters parted and the ground dried out. But when the Lord cut off the waters at Jordan, there wasn't that much time because the water only had a few miles to go. Now we're told that the town of Adam was a great distance away or a great way off, approximately 18 miles according to my concordance, which would have been out of their sight now, did the Lord start to cut off the waters before the priest's feet touched there? Did he see their hearts and knew they were determined to go across? I don't know. Miracles are miracles, aren't they? <laughs> but the priests have put their foot into the water knowing that they were trusting God and God alone. <laughs> They didn't want to really go down into that water and disappear. They were trusting it would be okay. And because the Israelites who followed the priests couldn't see where the waters were being held back or know when they would be released again, they too had to trust that we would be able to cross safely that the waters wouldn't come back before they'd all got across. The priests and the people had to do which 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us to do. They had to walk by faith, not by sight. Now back in September, during the week of prayer, if you remember, we had a whole week of prayer, Somebody said something about the Lord rolling back the water of the Jordan. And at that point in time, I was writing a book called Rahab, Covenants and Promises. And I knew that the waters had been cut off at the town of Adam. So I was sort of thinking about this. And as I sat pondering about this whole thing, it struck me that Adam was the name of the first man. 
Adam and Eve, remember? Adam was the name of the first man, but he was also the beginning of our problems. <laughs> yes. Now, it seemed to me, it was as if the Lord cutting the waters off at Adam, that he was going back to the point where it all went wrong. I saw in the picture language of this piece of history, the plan was to cut off the turbulent waters of our life from their very beginning and all points in between. We know, because of what Jesus did on the cross, that he has taken care of everything that is a blockage and a hindrance. And the Jordan water was a blockage and a hindrance for the Israelites to get across, to get to the land that was promised them. There is nothing that Jesus can't take care of, though. He's taking care of all the blockages, every hindrance, everything that stops us from getting to the place where the Lord wants us to be. We just need to recognise that and reach out for that. Reach out for the freedom he offers us towards what is impossible sometimes, but is possible by trusting him. We need to reach out so that we can enter into all the good things that await us beyond those things that are blocking and getting in our way, beyond the turbulent waters. We need to just trust that what he has promised will come to pass if we trust him. And it's when we carry our ark our mercy seat, if you like, into the troubled waters of our personal life, he has the power to cut them off all the way back to Adam or any point in between. And what is left flows down to the Red Sea and it's absorbed, the Dead Sea, I keep saying it, don't I? The Dead Sea. <laughs> What is left flows down to the Dead Sea and is absorbed into his death. And when the waters of the Jordan flow into the Dead Sea, it evaporates because it's so hot there. It's below sea level. It's the lowest point on earth. Interesting, isn't that? The Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth. And we can be released from our turbulence of our past, brought about, whether it's by our own foolishness or something that's been dragging around forever, it seems, with us. Or from the consequences of somebody else's input that we still carry, things that were done to us. The uncomfortable parts of our life can be a distant memory instead of a present reality. We can cross over on a dry riverbed, no quagmire underfoot, 
No sin left undealt with. No sin that will drag us down into that awful place and hinder our walk with him. Now for us to cross the Jordan isn't a miracle of salvation that's occurring. If we've made him our saviour, we've already, in picture language, crossed the Red Sea. But we need to cross the Jordan as well. We need to get out of the wilderness where we wander around wondering what's life all about, maybe grumbling and moaning like they did. We aren't running away from anything when we cross the Jordan, when we come through that place where all that turbulent water was. We aren't running away. Crossing the Jordan is picture language for moving forward despite the blockages and hindrances. Moving forward in anticipation, pressing onward to enter into all that he has promised. We aren't able to see as far back as the Adam. Neither could the, the children of Israel. They couldn't see where the waters was cut off. We can't see where the water was cut off originally but we can see it flow down into the Dead Sea. We can see it flow down into his death. It evaporates as he takes it and he rises again into new life and gives us new life. We just need to trust him and do what he asks us to do. Walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, if you're making notes. Some months back in, in the autumn, I can't remember the exact time, the day, but in this very hall, during a Sunday morning service, there was a response for people who were, wanted freedom. If you want freedom, they were, Andy was leading the service and he said, I feel there are people here that need freedom. Put your hand up. And I had been having a bit of a turbulent week and I thought, yes, I need freedom. So I put my hand up. And then we stood up, those that needed prayer. And Lynn came and she stood by me and she quietly prayed for me as the Holy Spirit did his work. Now, she didn't know what was going on inside of me, but she was incredibly supportive. But the work surprised me. It was so deep. And the pain was so raw. And as I stood there, I was aware of my very earliest beginnings. I was aware of an unspoken message I had received way back before I could even reason, I think, from as far back as I could remember. And the Holy Spirit revealed a foundational lie that was embedded in my life. It was a lie that shaped all my life. When I look back, shaped all my life. It was a lie I had 
didn't even fully understand until that Sunday morning as I responded to the desire for freedom. It was only later that the Lord reminded me what he'd shown me in that prayer meeting in September about the waters being cut off back to Adam. It was then I realised, in hindsight, what he'd been doing that morning. He was revealing the blockage, cutting off the turbulent waters that were affecting me. But then he went deeper, exposing the lie, healing me, bringing freedom from the hurt and the consequences, cutting the root of the lie that had produced so much negative fruit, a lie that had affected me all my life. Now, I've experienced freedom and healing before from things in my past, but this went right back to the beginning. And I can't thank him enough. Things have been so much different since then. I still had choices to make after that morning because there were patterns of thinking, patterns of response, negative patterns that have been established over so many years. But the root had been cut and so had the strength of those thoughts. The offshoots of that lie were now under my control. They weren't controlling me. Now, I'll be honest, I was a bit embarrassed when I realised I was the last person standing. You may even remember me standing there. I can see me in a green jumper now. I was a bit embarrassed when I found I was the last person standing, but I knew it was important to respond when freedom was offered. I know by experience over many years that when the deep waters of my life are stirring up, becoming turbulent, flooding even, I need to respond. I need to heed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And whether it's in a public place or in the company of one or more of people that I trust, it's then I have to say to myself, well, blow what it looks like to other people. I just want to be free. I want to be healed. I know it's time to take up the offer of freedom, put my feet into that turbulent water, knowing that he will deal with the problem and I'll be very glad of that. I want the obstacles that are blocking my way, that are keeping me trapped in the wilderness of life to be cut off. Even if they go back as far as Adam through those sorts of lies, whether they go back because of my own sin and what I've done, whether I've inherited some of this stuff from relatives, or whether it's even more recent than that. It's a humbling step to respond publicly, but the fruit and the freedom far outweigh all of that. And sometimes it encourages others to put their feet into their troubled waters. The Lord doesn't say that life will be easy afterwards. Please take note. We still have many, many battles to face 
in this life. But he's promised us more victories and much more fruitfulness. Plus, we have a wonderful inheritance to enjoy when life's battles are finally over. So, if God, whether it's this morning, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's next week, next month, next year, if God says to you, you need some freedom, if the opportunity comes, please, please take it. Put your feet in the water and see what he will do. Lord, I just want to pray. Pray, Lord, that you will bring freedom to your people. You will take us out of the wandering places that we sometimes find ourselves stuck in. Lord, bring freedom. Bring healing. Bring a new authority into people's lives, Lord. Lord, I ask you for the grace and the ability and the strength to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to go forward despite what's all that in front of me, the troubles, the problems. I'm going to go forward. And I trust you to cut off the waters, cut off those turbulent waters so that I can walk on dry land and go in. Father, we pray that you will do that. We pray that you will keep doing it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we're at a really important moment. Thank you, Mo. That was just wonderful. And uh, the Spirit of God is here to do just what Mo and Ollie have been talking about. So we're going to respond. We're going to be brave people as well. We're going to say, Lord, you're talking to me directly. So we're going to now open up this meeting to the Holy Spirit for him to do whatever he wants to do because I suspect that your heart's been moved by the things that Mo and Ollie have been talking about. Whilst Mo was talking, I was realising the incredible importance of the soles of your feet. It has come out somehow that if you use the soles of your feet, you're, you're, you're walking purposefully, you're getting up, you're standing up, you're touching the ground, you can feel the ground under your feet. And God appears on the earth and touches the earth with the soles of his feet at various times in scripture. And when Jesus comes back, the, the, the second advent, if you like, he will his feet will touch the earth and every eye will see him and every heart will either be thrilled or will mourn and feel pierced by what is in front of them so the Lord Jesus's feet are beautiful they bring the good news but your feet are really important this morning as well I think there are some people who need to get up and actually walk you've got to do something following on from what Mo was talking about somehow you've got to take faith control if you like it's not that you're in control God's in control of your life but somehow you've got to do something so there's something that needs to be cut off in your life and the Holy Spirit wants to come and help you but we are co-operators with God and so we've got to do stuff everything is by faith when you get to your last day on earth 
on your, on your bed when you've not got long to live, just maybe minutes, by faith, you're saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Everything is by faith. Speaking in tongues, opening your mouth, receiving him as Lord. Everything is by faith, which thrills and delights him. So we do everything by faith this morning. So I think there are some people who need to stand up and you may want to walk around this auditorium. What did you say, Mo? It's a bit embarrassing, but you have to do it. She was last, last woman standing. There are some people here who want to express themselves by saying, Lord, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to stamp my feet and say, Lord, I trust you. And there are some people who just need to start walking. And there are some people who need to come down to the front, just like this dear lady has done right now. We've got to do things. So, Lord, let me, let me just ask you, this is a time for the cutting off of things from the past. There are still people here who have guilty consciences, guilty feelings and you think she's just sick to death of feeling guilty about that which happened and I want your cleansing power now that might be that you don't come to the front you might want to turn to a friend here and say would you pray for me you don't need to go into detail about it but you it is time for the waters to back up and for them to go into the Dead Sea And it is time for the refreshing rain of the Holy Spirit to come upon you again, to remind you that you are his dear son or daughter. So I think something powerful is going on in that part of the room. So so sorry, guys, over this side. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is everywhere. But there is a lot going on over in that part of the room. I feel it. So if you're sitting in that section and you're feeling stirred to do something, there is an anointing on that part of the building right now for the power of God to be released. And I think it's going to spread across. So let's just pray for that now, shall we? Shall we stand together? Let's make our response. It may be that you need to say something to somebody who's praying for you. And it may be that you just need to talk to God about it. Amen. Okay, we're going to minister together. And if you know that there are people you want to pray for, Do not be shy about coming forward. It's great that some people are coming forward now. If you feel you need to walk, come and walk. It's the soles of your feet are precious to God because you're telling him you trust him. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you now, will you now send your power? Whenever Jesus is glorified, the Holy Spirit is very happy to come into the room. So we glorify you again in our songs. Just the band will be playing and we'll glorify Jesus and when when he is lifted up he will draw all men to himself he will work in power but let me just say it again there are aching hearts here this morning we've had some beautiful songs but there are there are people who are aching and now is the day for the touch of God to heal your aching heart unresolved issues from the past come on we believe the bible don't we we believe the word of god we know that the holy spirit is kind above all things he's the kindest man i know if i can put it that way so come holy spirit and let's be aware of our friends around the room maybe the person even standing next to you is hurting this is a time for deliverance this is a time for getting into the water. We just thank you, Lord, that baptism in water is just such a powerful picture of the cutting off from the past and the the lowly entry into the kingdom of God. So, come, Lord. I pray for a powerful anointing 
come upon that side of the room. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, just as we love you, Lord Jesus, would you send your spirit across, across your people, across your dear ones. Lord, we give it to you now. Now, some of you are going to know what you've got to do. It's itching away at you. You're just aware you've got to do something. Well, come on then. Make your move. Make your move. Whether it's to talk to someone or to come forward or just walk around the building saying, Lord, I walk out of my past and into my future again with you. Thank you, Lord. Come anointing oil of God. Come anointing oil. Some of you really responded to what Mo said about a lie. You've had a lie spoken over your lives. You, you know it's a lie because it's made you feel so uncomfortable. You know that's not really you. You know that that was like a, felt like a curse. Holy Spirit, would you just reveal things that are like lies over people today? Would you now begin to lift that untruth from them and may the truth of the gospel and the truth that we are loved beyond that which we could possibly know come upon us and as that lie is lifting so the healing balm of the Holy Spirit come upon you we live in the light we live without fear of the future or the past we live like free people. Come healing power. Come and set people free. Freedom. For freedom, Christ has called you. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Thank you, Lord. Let's now be the people of God. Let's move around now. Let's be sensitive to each other. Don't need to stay in your seat. And let's now sing to the glory of God as we minister to one another. This next bit of the meeting is going to be free. If slightly chaotic, who cares? We are allowing the Holy Spirit to make, uh, make his move in our lives afresh. Come and cut us off from the past, Lord, and into the freedom that you bring us. Amen. Okay.